Welcome to Disarming Persuasion, the podcast for sales and business leadership professionals. My name is Dave Rosenberg, and I am the founder and principal at Locked On Leadership, a consulting firm with a mission to replace Thank God It's Friday with Thank God It's Monday. With me is my co-host, a man who can literally teach sales with one hand tied behind his back, Darren Cecil. Filling in for Darren, the amazing Anne Bonnie. And what are we going to talk about today? You know, Dave, I am so mad right now that I really want to talk about useless meetings and people who come into meetings and are long talkers and they don't know what they're talking about. Uh, can we talk about this? Well, before we have a meeting about useless meetings, we should probably schedule our next meeting. We should schedule a meeting to plan what we're going to meet it for at in the meeting. Is that, my wife used to complain about that. And she, one of her bosses, you know, who's a political appointee. And the first thing he would do with every meeting was schedule the follow-up meeting. And okay. So you're planning on not doing anything to achieving the objective here. Yeah. Right. Right. Talk about, you know, fail to plan, plan to fail. Huh? I, I tell you, and when I when I have, you know, do sessions on meeting effectiveness, usually the first thing I say is, all right, who wants more meetings? And the whole room is like, oh, I mean, this is a big problem in the world. Well, you, you know how you can judge whether it's a big problem or not? Is there a meme? Oh, wait, there <laughs> is. Could this meeting have been an email? Yes. <laughs> it's so true. So what's the answer? Cancel all meetings. Well, you know, it's funny you say that, but because um, I spend time with a lot of my clients saying, and in, in many cases, you need to have more meetings. Because I'm not saying that you can't have too many went. meetings. <laughs> right. I'm not saying you can't have too many meetings. You can. But right there's the opposite extreme. So I have clients who never meet. Mm. And so what happens when you don't meet is meetings are a great time for information to pass, mm-hmm. right? There's a, there's a fantastic book um, by uh, General Billy McChrystal, who was the uh, um, commander of uh, uh, Special Operations Command, I believe at the time. Uh, and it's, now I'm blanking on the name. Oh, um, Team of Teams. And one of the challenges they faced in... Iraq uh, was the uh, insurgents were had a very loose network. So a bunch of loose cells, very loosely interconnected. There was no hierarchy. And they were, because of that, they were very nimble. And I am putting my watch now in silent mode, folks. That was that <laughs> thing you just, oh, nope, I am actually hitting the wrong button and now locating my phone, which is sitting right next to me. Is it the blue wire or the red wire? Is you pushed the, the wrong wire. <laughs> is it the blue pill? <laughs> at any rate, um, I shouldn't be talking about blue pills at my age, should I? <laughs> I'm going to leave that one alone, Dave. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, but at any rate, so the insurgency was very nimble. And, you know, the, the bureaucracy of our military is not it's very siloed and very, rig- you know, very rigid line, you know, up, up the chain of command, across the chain of command, back down the chain of command. And so he implemented this global uh, special operations command daily meeting 
and everybody from like second class petty officers, E5s, you know, sergeants to himself as three-star general attended and anybody could have, it was just an informal meeting. And what it did is it facilitated communication. So people were able to put together disparate pieces of information Mm -hmm. and see a pattern. And they were much, there were two things happened. They were able to react on it quicker and they established unofficial back channel relationships with people. So if they needed to pick up the phone and call somebody in a different part of the world, they had that connection. Mm-hmm. There is a value to meetings. Oh, there's a huge value to meetings. And, and, and it's all about having the right meetings and doing them well. You know, and, and you talk about books, Brene Brown in her book, Dare to Lead, talks about how some great ways to communicate in meetings so that people are comfortable call each, calling each other out in a respectful way, sharing information, disagreeing, you know, because this is what needs to happen. We need to get all the information out on the table, not be worried about, you know, retaliation, not being worried about offending people. Again, we're saying things in a respectful way, but being able to say what needs to be said so we don't have to have another meeting and we don't have to dance around it, not saying what needs to be said or not achieving what needs to be achieved. So you're right. Yeah, and and more important than not having another meeting, right? Mm. I I, I really don't like that as a goal because that's what you end up with is lack of meetings when they might be needed. Right. However, if our goal is to be as effective and efficient in the meeting to get to accomplish a task, then we come out of that meeting having done something, right? And it's not just another chance for us to talk, eat donuts and drink bad coffee. I can do that by myself. Yeah, it's more fun, though, when you have somebody else you can make snide remarks with. (laughs) It's true. Yeah. But yeah, no. And it's it's figuring out how do we effectively have these meetings, even when they're one on one meetings. And how do we redirect to make sure we're staying on the agenda? And I don't know about you, Dave, if you've ever heard the the. uh, um, What do you call it? The role we all have heard of this, the. Um, minutes taker. We've all heard of the timekeeper, but I like to have a gatekeeper and I will deputize that person at the beginning of the meeting and say, Dave, you're in charge of keeping us on the agenda. Here's a parking lot. If we get off, say, Hey, everybody, we're off the agenda. I'm going to go ahead and put this topic on the parking lot so we can talk about it later and make sure, cause it's maybe a very important thing for us to talk about, but let's get back to the agenda. And having deputizing that person at the beginning of the meeting really empowers them to speak up and keep you on the agenda. And I've found that it works really, really well. You know, absolutely. I think it's a great idea if as a leader you find, and we're all different personalities, you find yourself um, going down rabbit holes. Well, and yeah, exactly. And a lot of times I'm my own gatekeeper because I'm not a rabbit hole goer downer. But having that third person in case you get engaged in, in that whole thing is important. Yeah, and it does happen because I'm, yep. I'm like you. I, I typically, when I call a meeting, I have a set agenda and I'm really good because I, you know, frankly, I, I need that sense of accomplishment. I need that hit of dopamine. I got it done. <laughs> yeah, baby. Mainline I need my that. hit. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, uh, but having somebody else to be accountable to is always a beneficial thing. So I, I think that's a great idea. I'm curious, in your experience, how does having effective or ineffective meetings 
um, impact your ability to uh, persuade and influence people? Well, I mean, it's a huge credibility builder or a credibility buster. You walk into a client meeting trying to persuade them to do business with you or, you know, walk into a board meeting, trying to persuade the board to get on board with, to get on board with something that you are proposing and you don't have your, what's that? They're already on the board. Exactly. Get them on board with some different thing. Um, If you don't have your stuff together, that is a huge bust to your credibility. If you can't bring the agenda and show them what it is you're trying to accomplish, it's a huge bust on your own credibility and they're not likely to jump on board with what you're, what you're selling. No, absolutely. Start on time Mm -hmm. end on time. Be effective. End early if you can. Certainly there's nothing wrong with ending early. Mm -hmm. Um, And there could be, right? Don't schedule a two hour meeting and take 45 minutes. Right. 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 But if, if you schedule an hour meeting and at 50 minutes, you're done with the agenda, don't vamp until ready. I mean, you might revisit that parking lot if there's anything on it, but otherwise give people their time back. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. There's nothing more valuable than our time, which is again, why you don't want to schedule the 40, the the 45 minutes for two hours, because then people, even if they get out early, they're done in 45 minutes. They're going, all right, what do I do? Cause I didn't plan around it today. Well, or the way I get angry is I could have scheduled something in this time. I held this time for you. That's what I mean. Yeah. And you only needed 45 minutes. Exactly. I, I've got plenty to do, but I'm now pissed because there were other things I could have scheduled at this time. Right. Right. What I'm filling in may be a B or C priority, not the A thing that I really needed to get done. Exactly. And, yep. And, and even if you can rework it, that's still a time waste. Mm-hmm. You know, you had a time set out to schedule my day. I knew yesterday, you know, what was coming up. Why, mm-hmm. why, why am I being? So how do we hold effective meetings? I think par- I like to set ground rules at the beginning. All right. I will start meetings on time. And it's, this is really hard for me because I go in and do leadership training and emotional intelligence training. And some companies I work for a, um, an automotive Not supply, but manufacturing organization. That's a German company, and they are always so on time. My little heart goes pitter pat when everybody's there. When the and they close it when the thing's supposed to start. If it's starting at eight thirty, everybody's in the room, seated, ready to go. And I'm like, oh, I mean, it's better than some really good things, Dave. What good things are that? Well, like donuts and. And good coffee. Nothing to do with nothing to do with blue pills. No, 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 no. This is a children's podcast, Dave. Um, or something like that. (laughs) But no, but I mean, and then there's other companies I go into where the culture is that you can show up five, 10 minutes late for a meeting. And of course, I don't, I'm not their leader, so I can't say, well, I'm starting on time. You know, I'm like, you're paying me, I'll do whatever you want me to. But at the same time, it's like it's they're essentially saying it's okay. And so by saying my meetings are going to start on time, we're going to have an agenda. We're going to stick to that agenda. Right. And we're going to accomplish things. And sometimes I'll even set, try to set a ground rule to say, Hey, everybody, if we can put phones away, if at all possible, and everybody's engaged, I might be able to get you out of here early. And setting that up at the beginning to say, Hey, can everybody just be here so we can get through this and get out? Yeah. Um, 
And, and that's a tough one these days. But when I've set that as a ground rule on my meetings, when I was leading teams, my teams were like, all right, cool, let's do this. And they were much more engaged, um, especially because, again, I was backing it up with, we're here for a reason. I got the right people in the room and we're all engaged and we all matter in this discussion. Yeah, there's a lot going on in what you just shared. And I agree with everything you said. Um, I've actually, when I was brought on uh, as initially as VP at, at uh, a moving company, and I've talked about them before, the owner said to me, I'd like you to hold weekly staff meetings. And I remember I, was, I started on a Monday, typically, right? And, and as, you know, we've been trying to do these on Fridays at 730. I bring everybody in early. They get a half hour over time. Blah, blah, blah. I said, all right, I'm not quite sure what I'm going to talk about this week, but, you know, because I just starting, but, you know, I, I guess I could set expectations about what you could expect from me and what I'm looking for from you. And so Friday rolls around and I'm there at like seven because, you know, I'm not going to be late for my first meeting or any meeting, but especially mm-hmm. my first meeting. I don't, you know, I don't know what the traffic is going to be like, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. 7.30, I'm in the conference room all by myself. People are starting to come in the front door. This is not going to work. This isn't it. <laughs> so I start talking. I start to the empty room? To the empty room. First person walks in, looks at me like I'm freaking nuts. I said, yeah, the meeting started at 730. I'm not repeating myself. Have a seat. And then over the next 10 minutes, people started walking in to now as a filling room as I'm in the middle of my agenda. And of course, I did start over this one day. He said, this is it. This is your one do-over. Meetings start on time. That doesn't mean you walk in the door at 7.30. That means you don't walk in our boardroom or you know our conference room door at 7.30. It means at 7.30, I start talking. So you better be in your seat at 7.25. Have your coffee already because we're going at 7.30. The next week, one person was late. After that, and I, I, I'm not going to say people were never late again, but there, it was usually the ops manager who was dealing with an operational crisis that was going on because they were getting our trucks out at that same time. Mm-hmm. Nobody else was late, unless some sort of real like flat tire type of emergency mm-hmm. you know, occurred. What I found by doing that is that it spilled over into everything we did. All of a sudden, assignments got done on time. People said what they were going to do. I'll tell you, my biggest pet peeve. Okay, that's a high bar. I got a lot of pet peeves. (laughs) This is a big one, though. It may not be the biggest, but it is up there in the top 5%, maybe even higher. Is the meetings that you usually, it's calls and somebody goes, you know, it's uh, 3.30 and we're supposed to get started, but we still have about... 10 people who are coming out of respect for those who aren't here. We're going to hold off till everybody gets here. Mm-hmm. That's one of my big ones too. Wait a second. How about out of respect for everybody who made the effort to get here on time, who got here on time. And it's usually more people in the room who got there on time than the people who are not there yet, who yep. we're respecting. Yep. The other benefit of doing this by the way, folks, all of a sudden and, 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 and absolutely alluded to this. People know that you say what you're going to do and you do what you say. You want to be able to persuade people. 
First, make them absolutely convinced that your word is solid. Isn't that one of the four agreements? Be impeccable with your word. If you're going to say, and this is especially important with leaders. You know, if we say something or ask for something from our team or give them some negative feedback, and then we never bring it up again, and it's not followed through on, we're basically saying, eh, it doesn't matter. It's not worth me saying it again. It's not that important, right? If you're going to say it, back it up. And we did this. I used to teach special ed, Dave. You know, when, when I taught kids with emotional disabilities and behavioral disorders, which isn't that different than working with adults. And, you know, the, not we, sometimes, right? Exactly. Not that different. But if you told a kid, I need you to do this. And if not, this is going to be the consequence, especially these kids, they'd test you all day. And if they found out that you were not going to follow through, oh, you were there. You were a puppet on a string. They were so happy to be dealing with you because they knew that you weren't going to back up what you said. Yeah. And and so now you're constantly fighting that battle. But there's another even worse problem. And you've heard me say this before. We only hold people accountable. We believe are capable. Mm -hmm. Right. So I imagine in your special ed class. Mm-hmm. There were things that you let them get away with because they weren't capable of wh- whatever that might look like, you know, right. It's just, it's a bigger challenge for some people, whatever, whatever that was, you know? Yes. Yep. Um, and you know, that when, when I explain this to people, I say, you're not going to, if you, if you have your six-year-old cut your front yard and the rows aren't straight and they miss a few, you know, blades of glass, you're not going to, they're not getting in punished for that. They're not getting in trouble. You're not going to make them do it again. Right. You know, they're not going to miss their dinner or dessert or whatever. Exactly. It's a six-year-old, your Mm -hmm. 16 year old. He's not getting the car that weekend until that grass is done. Right. Mm -hmm. Right? We only hold people capable, accountable who we think are capable. So when you don't hold people accountable, when you don't follow through with what you say, then what you're really saying is you're not capable. And that busts down esteem. And when you have people who are low esteem, in other words, they, I don't mean their self-esteem, they don't feel appreciated by the rest of the team, right? That's one of the top reasons people leave you, right? But if you hold people accountable in a loving, caring way, then they grow Mm -hmm. because they know that you have their best interests at heart. You're looking for them to be successful. Yes. And, And you and I have had this conversation before. It's not that they believe it. They know it. They know that you have their best intentions at heart. And that's why holding people accountable can be easier because they know you're not out to attack them. You're not breaking them down. You're saying, I know you're capable of this. And I know we can all hold each other to a higher standard and not only be more successful here, but be more fulfilled. Be feel better about where we work, you know, and it's, and it's building that foundation of trust and respect, holding somebody accountable in a kind yet clear way. And I you know to bring this back full circle, because we started about meetings that could have been emails, right? If we're not accountable ourselves, right? And so having a BS meeting, that's nothing more than a time waster mm-hmm. is not being accountable. You're not being accountable to your team. You're not being respectful to their time. You're exactly. not being respectful to your own time. Right. You send the message that I don't really know what I'm doing. Mm. And this company's time is not valuable. The money that they're paying us to be here, meh. Right. And so if I can waste your time coming to my BS meeting that gets nothing done, then 
it's okay for you to waste the company's time shopping for your wives, husbands, girlfriends, boyfriends, sons, daughters, Kinsiera, bar mitzvah, baby shower. All, all of the things, all of the shopping. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And yet people don't understand why their teams aren't being accountable. You know, it's interesting on my podcast, um, Ignite Your Influence, the woman that's the uh, my guest this week. Uh, I'm sorry. What was the name of your podcast again? Oh, it's called Ignite Your Influence Podcast, Dave. And it talks about how you can build your influence by looking inside at yourself. <laughs> and that wouldn't be available on all the different podcast uh, distribution channels. Right? right where you're listening to this now, Dave, you could find Ignite Your Influence Con- Podcast. <laughs> but wait, there's more. I need to smile and a little ting needs to come <laughs> off of my tooth. No, but Julie Bartkiss is on my podcast Uh, the week of the first week in October. And she talks about the need to look in the mirror and say, what am I creating? What am I allowing? And take full responsibility for that as a leader. Because if you don't, I mean, you're creating your situation. And so what can I do differently to get better results? It's funny. I was just in in, in a mastermind with the, the great Mark Levy. Mm. Um, You know, Mark, uh, Mark helped Simon Sinek create start with why. And I was in a mastermind with him and I don't remember how it came about, but I said, you know, our team is a reflection of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And by the way, for those of us out there listening who are on the sales side and, you know, really self-leadership and or influence or, or, or persuasion, your customers are a reflection of you as well. You attract the customers. Who are, so when I was at um, a company called Communications Plus, me and this guy named Tom, I won't say his last name. Tom and I were always vying for number one. Okay. Tom outsold me in the quantity of sales. He had more customers. I outsold him. Well, or, 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 or I should say revenue wise, we were like bouncing back and forth. I had fewer, bigger ticket sales. Mm-hmm. He had more smaller ticket sales, but Tom would do things to get customers that I would never do. Like he had our technicians work side jobs to do the cabling because they could charge less because they didn't have the company overhead to reduce the price to close the deal. And of course his customers were ones who would take that up. Yes. So he was doing things shady. His customers were shady. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't do that. You know, I didn't sell as many customers, but the customers we had were, but, better customers, right? And yeah, and, exactly. Probably stuck around a lot longer too. Right. And they were less headaches and less problems and they were mm-hmm. try, never trying to nickel and dime us, right? Our customers are reflections of ourselves. Our teams are reflections of ourselves. If you want to improve your customers or you want to improve your team members, wait, you, they can't see you, Anne. What was that? I was pointing at myself. You look in the mirror. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And again, to bring this back to meetings, how we started this, because we don't want to waste your time. Right. Right? That is a really tangible way. So start on time. Yep. What else? Have an agenda. And Number I like one. to send it early. I like to send it two or three days beforehand if I can. And I always ask in my meeting management courses, I always say, all right, you send an agenda to 10 people that are coming to your meeting on Friday. How many people do you think open it? 
If you're lucky, one. Maybe one. There are a few times that people are optimistic. They're like, oh, five. I'm like, oh, yeah, no, probably not. But what an agenda does is it says, I've thought about this meeting. I know why we're coming. If you're interested, here's what we're going to talk about. Um, And I've got my stuff together, and this is my expectation of you. I respect your time by planning out what we're going to talk about. And certain meetings, depending on what I'm trying to achieve, I'll actually time it out. I always feel a little persnickety, but this says not only, you like that word, huh? Yeah, I was about to ask, what the heck does that mean? Uh, Inno-retentive. Can I say that on this podcast? You just did. Oh, I did. Crap. Speaking of, never mind. (laughs) But, but, you know, I'll say we're going to spend five minutes here and 15 minutes here and 20 minutes here and 10 minutes here. Only because that says, here's the weight that I'm giving each of these items. Now, we may get off agenda, but if I've got five minutes scheduled to talk about the holiday party, it's just basically, here's an update. We're moving on, right? This isn't a big discussion thing. Right. If it's 30 minutes, we're going to do some serious planning. Right. Right. So that's that's awesome. One of the things that I used to do, and of course, this is as a, as a leader in, and you can actually do this even as a consultant or coach in this day and age, but back then, um, you know, we didn't have the, the shared cloud resources we have now, like OneDrive, Evernote, um, mm. things like that. But I would put it in on the company uh, intranet, a OneNote agenda that was updated every week because we did a weekly meeting and everyone had access to it. And so they could add to the agenda. Now, Right. And so if, I, I would tell people if something comes up during a week that you want to talk about the weekly meeting, just put it just here's right. Save me the work. Yeah. Right? Well, plus, Dave, that gives them ownership in the meeting because they're part of creating that agenda. So I think that's brilliant. Yeah. And of course, that didn't mean that we talked about everything that they put on there, because like you, you, right, we had an hour meeting and mm-hmm. I had to know what was I had to prioritize that. However, they at least know it got a look. And mm-hmm. if, if, if I had to push something a week, I would let them know, listen, we're going to push this. And of course, at the end of the meeting, I would take our agenda and move it, whatever needed to be moved. Cause there's still not always, but sometimes there's action items that get pushed forward or we need to report out on a initiative, whatever it might be. And, and I'd set up the beginning of the next week's agenda. Yep. Get it, get it right. Love it, especially on those recurring meetings, because those can often become a drag. And that's another thing I always tell people is if you've got a recurring meeting and it's not productive and people are like, oh, God, I've got that meeting. Rethink it. Maybe it doesn't need to be as often. Maybe you need more structure around the meeting to say, "Okay, when we get in the meeting, we're going to talk this. Then we're going to go around the table and do this. And then we're going to do this, you know, and whatever it is. But reevaluate those weekly meetings periodically because they so often just become a waste of time. Yeah. And so let's talk about that because I have, in my mind, um, we should have weekly meetings that go quickly over big picture stuff, what's going on in a company, right? Get get everybody on the same page. Get everybody on the same page. So if you're in a service production company sort of thing where, you know, you're talking about projects that are coming up, you know, give salespeople a, a quick chance to give a quick overview, operations to ask some questions, or maybe to give an update on, well, we had to push this off. We're going to install at this date instead of that date, that sort of thing. So if the salesperson gets a phone call, they're not being blindsided by, mm-hmm. by stuff, right? So everybody knows it's about information flow. The most important process you have is how well 
information flows to everybody who needs to know it. And mm-hmm. meetings are a great way to, to be uh, expeditious about that. Right. And, and, you know, the way you say expeditious, I like that because sometimes we have to teach our teams how to do this stuff. Well, you know, not everybody walks into all these meetings, knowing how to quintessentialize a point, knowing how to disagree respectfully, knowing how to bring up something that's controversial or is likely to make somebody angry. Like all these things we need to be able to do. Sometimes our teams don't have the skills. So this is sometimes another thing that I'll do is have a little 15 minute teach. Hey, I watched this podcast or I listened to this fabulous podcast and I learned this. And so, you know, here's, I'm sharing this with you. Here's how we should do this so that everybody's on the same page with how we're going to communicate too. Absolutely. In fact, you mentioned ground rules. Uh, I don't think you call them ground rules. I can't remember what, but, but I think I did. Yeah. Yeah. Which was a great way. One of the ground rules you give up is, you know, potentially give is all right. We don't use the word should. Right. We all we should do that way, but should adds itself to uh, this weight. Judgment. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a judgment weight, but you can recommend. Mm-hmm. Right. I recommend this. Right. And, and teach people the language you want them to have. And that sort of keeps that, that ego piece in check. And then you have to hold yourself responsible for doing it and for following up with people. Again, if you say, here's the language we're going to use, here's how we're going to do this. And then people don't do it and you never follow up on it. Again, your word is now mud. Or worse still, you don't do it. Right. So, okay, we're not going to use should, we're going to recommend. And then, oh, and by the way, you You should know what we're going to talk about. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, exactly. And if you do it because you might make a mistake as you're also learning, catching yourself and saying, oh my gosh, sorry, y'all, I'm learning this too, right? Accepting mistakes, which we've talked about on a past episode as well. Absolutely. And you can, once again, empower others to correct you. Yes. When I was at the moving company, for example, part of our language was we didn't have customers. We didn't have clients, right? We had shippers. Hmm. And it took me probably a month or so to make that part of my lexicon. And when I would mess up, somebody would say, you mean shippers, mm-hmm. something else. And this is even more impactful. We didn't move stuff. We didn't move junk. We didn't move crap. We didn't move. We moved possessions. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's a much more important one because right. imagine hearing somebody talk about moving your crap upstairs. How are they going <laughs> to treat it? Right. Doesn't right. sound good. And once again, anybody was empowered and they took great delight and I accepted it graciously because yep. I knew it wasn't a right. And it actually created a connection and it tells people, look, we're about doing it right. Not about being right. Mm, I love that. We're going to do it right. Or we're going to be right. Mm, I love it. Hopefully we're doing both, but when they're at odds, let's do it right. Yep. Ab- absolutely. Wow. Well, um, we like to keep this at 30 minutes and we're just about there. Are now. we there so, already? Wow. I know. Time, time flies when you're having fun. When you're complaining about bad meetings. <laughs> yeah. So any last sage words or rosemary words? Always ask yourself when you're making the agenda, could this be an email? I think that sums it up. Another great show. Thanks, Ann. Thanks, Dave. See you next time. That concludes another episode of Disarming Persuasion. My name's Dave Rosenberg. And this is Darren Cecil. 
visit our websites at LockedOnLeadership.com or DarrenCecil.com. Follow us on social media. You can find the links in the show notes. Remember, if they fail to make a decision, you failed to disarm them. Thank you.